Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. If you could, go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 3. If you are in the Red Bible, it is page 1012 in the Red Bible. If you don't have a Bible, again, you will need one. Feel free to grab one from the back, page 1012 in the Red Bible. It's been a few weeks since we have been in the book of James, and so just to catch us all up to speed and remind us where we have been, uh, James is a very, very practical book about active faith in everyday life. Uh, James started, if you remember, by helping us to see trials from God's perspective. And when we see trials from God's perspective, we can count trials joy uh, because we know that God does not waste our trials but uses us, uses it to mature us in Christ. Uh, last time we were in the book of James, at the end of chapter 2, uh, we were reminded that there is a difference, as Pastor Tim Keller says, from a profession of faith and a possession of faith. There are many people who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but do not possess faith in Jesus Christ. And the way that we know the difference between a profession of saving faith and an actual possession of saving faith is if that faith has transformed and is transforming our life. The way that we care for people, uh, the way that we, uh, that, we, that we conduct ourselves in the world, and even the way, as we'll see today, the way that we speak to one another. And so let's look together, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if, anybody, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. 
My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Lord, this book of James has been so practical, teaching us how to understand the trials of our life, showing us how we are to love and care for the vulnerable. And now it moves to something that we do all the time, which is talk. And so God, I pray that you would give us a keen mind to remember and to be honest about things that we have said, things that we haven't said that should have said. And God, through your word, would help sharpen our mind so that we might be more godly with our tongue. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See if you can finish these statements. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will, but what? Words, I know we're Presbyterian, you can be louder than that, it's okay. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say, and sticks to you, right? Bounces off me and sticks to you. These are children's sayings because they are childish. Adults know better than to say these things. I asked Pastor Spencer Thomas, our pastor of counseling and care, I said, if you had to guess what percentage of counseling is in response to the power of words that were negatively used, what would be your guess? And Spencer said, you know, I think you could accurately say that not a single person enters my office that hasn't been impacted by, a negative, by negative words in a powerful way. And then he goes on to say, no one has the power to speak life or death into their children like a mo- mother or father does. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4 says, a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. And so the reality is sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can crush us. We're not rubber, we're super glue. (laughs) Whatever you say sticks to me and not to you. I'm guessing most of you here can remember hurtful words that have been said to you over the past few weeks or years or even decades ago. Maybe words from teachers or from parents or from siblings or for friends that have haunted you. Words about your body, your abilities, your value. Comments that you have tried so hard to push out of your mind, but still have a significant influence over your thoughts and your actions. Now here's the thing, if we are honest, We are not only victims of hurtful words, we are speakers of hurtful words. 
They probably don't ring as loud to us because we don't feel them the way that others have when we speak those hurtful words. But all of us speak words that are hurtful. We speak to people in subhuman ways. And so as we study today's passage about the tongue, let us not just think, oh, I hope so-and-so is listening to this so they talk nicer to me. But in worship of the Lord, let us apply it to our own lives and our own hearts and our own tongues as we seek to glorify God with the tongue that he has given to us. And so James tells us four things about our tongue. The first is this, the seriousness of our tongue. Look at verse one with me. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Uh, Teachers in the church, of course, include preachers like myself, but it also includes those who teach Bible studies, those who teach in children's church. And through our teaching, we have the opportunity to educate God's people, to direct God's people, to encourage and to exhort God's people, even to correct God's people. And James warns us against treating those positions of teaching flippantly because they are positions of great influence over the people that God has put before us that, are, that, that have some openness and some vulnerability to them. And so if you believe a harmful theology for yourself, that is one thing, but if you are teaching it to others, then you are causing destruction amongst God's people. Think of it as a school bus driver. I'm assuming when they're driving to work to get to the bus, sometimes they're probably running late because it's early in the morning, and so they're, they're driving fairly aggressively to get to the bus. But once they get in the bus and they start picking up children, hopefully they start driving more cautiously because they now know that their decisions not only affect them, but they affect everyone that's on the bus as well. In the same way, when God gives us positions to teach, to lead, again, whether it be from the pulpit or in a Bible study or in children's ministry or even at our home, he tells us to not take this lightly, but to be serious about what God has entrusted to us to teach others. And for this reason, James says to them that they will be judged with greater strictness. Now by this, James is not saying that you can lose your salvation. James has already told us that we are not saved by our good works, but by the will of God and by the word of God. And so, so he's not saying that we can lose our salvation uh, if, we, if, we, if we mess up when we teach. But what he's saying is that there are rewards in heaven and the way that God will teach, will, will, will dispense those to us, part of that way is by the way that we have carefully taken on the duty and the privilege to teach others about God. And so think of it in this way. If I had a family of, let's say, 10 kids, okay, I'd, I'd be overwhelmed. But if I had a family of 10 kids and I had a six-year-old running around the house with scissors in their hands, I would probably discipline them and send them to timeout because I don't want them to get hurt. But if I have an 18-year-old running around with scissors in their hands and and there's a whole bunch of nine kids behind them running around with scissors in their hands, that 18-year-old is going to get punished more severely. And the reason is because not only should they know better, but they are also in a position of influence. 
And so James says, not many of you should be teachers. But he goes on to say this, and I love this. He says, for we all, we all stumble in many ways. And so James is not proposing that you need to be perfect in your theology to teach others, but that you must be careful when you approach teaching others, that you should be appropriately trained in whatever level that you have been given to teach others because there is a weightiness, a seriousness to your words and to your teaching. And so James starts by telling us the seriousness of our words with which we speak, that not many of us should be teachers because our words are serious. Secondly, he goes on to talk about the strength of our tongue. And, and more specifically, he's talking about the disproportionate strength of our tongue. Look at verse 2 with me. It says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble, now this is a hypothetical person, okay, because he just said, we all stumble. But he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And so what James is communicating here is very important. What we say affects the rest of our personhood. Not only that, but the way that we use our small little tongue disproportionately affects the other people that we are speaking to as well. You see, God created words to be powerful. It was God who spoke creation into existence through the power of his words. And so God's words are powerful and he has made it so that your words are powerful as well, both for good, but then also we use it for evil. And that's what James illustrates here. And so first we see the power of our words, the strength of our words for good. Look at verse three with me. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, in the suburbs of St. Louis, and so I didn't get to see a whole bunch of horses just out in the fields or things like that. The only time I got to see horses is when I went to a Cardinals game or when I went, and don't tell me who won yesterday, I know who won, but who went to a Cardinals game or, or if I went to a parade. And if I was in a parade, I would see these huge Clydesdales coming by. And these are just massive creatures, 2,000 pounds. And as they would come by, as I was sitting on the curb of, the, of these parades, you would just feel the ground rumble underneath you. But the amazing thing about these horses, the way that they direct these horses is with a, a simple little bit, which you can see right here, which weighs less than half a pound. And you can control this mighty horse for good, right? So that the horse doesn't trample over people. But it's controlled by this very, very small thing. In the same way, your tongue weighs about 0.14 pounds. That's one-seventh of a pound. And yet it can direct your entire life. I mean, think of some of the dis disproportionately power good words your tongue can say. Words like, I do, or I'm proud of you, or I love you, or I forgive you. Those small words have a tremendous 
positive effect on you and on others, like a bit in a horse's mouth. James goes on to give another illustration. Verse 4, he says, look at this ship also. Though they, ha- though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so you've probably been through Sturgeon Bay and you've seen those massive ships out in the shipyard, which are awesome to look at. And the ships are not that big in Paul's day. Uh, I'm sorry, in James's day, but they're still fairly large ships. These ships could hold up to 200 people. And so you, if you're not familiar with what a rudder is, here is a ship, this massive big ship, lots of cargo, lots of people on it. And yet this small little rudder directs the ship so that it won't get caught in the Suez Canal. And it directs it so that people can get to the location that they're intending to go, right? It's used for good, to direct people to the right place. In the same way, James is saying, listen, your tongue is disproportionate to the rest of your body and its power is disproportionate to the rest of your faculties as well. Recently, I got an email from a guy named David who lives in Ohio and he's trying to raise support to go to Taiwan. And I vaguely remember meeting David uh, at one time when he visited Wisconsin. Uh, But he sent me this email that said this, and maybe he was just uh, trying to get money from me. I don't know, but he said this. He said, thank you also for many years ago now visiting Covenant Theological Seminary to talk about church planting. I credit that ministry lunch with you as one of the events God used to lead my wife and I into church planting. And he said, blessings, David. Now, as I read this email, I thought to myself, I don't remember going to Covenant Seminary to do the seminary lunch. But it's also overwhelming and scary, isn't it? That our words, even a side comment, can redirect somebody's life. That God can use those words powerfully in people's lives. And so James says here that our tongue is disproportionately powerful to influence others for good. But as we know, it's also disproportionately powerful for evil. And that's what James goes on to illustrate next. Verse five, he says, so also the tongue is a small rudder, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. As you know, fire can be a very good thing, but it can also be very destructive. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard of the Peshtigo fire. Uh, the Peshtigo fire happened on October 8th, 1871, the same day that the Chicago fire had, but did not have a whole lot of press because of the Chicago fire. But it was much more destructive than the Chicago fire. I actually have a map up here you can see. I got a lot of illustrations today. You get no extra charge, okay? But, but, but the, 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 the fire started uh, up in this area, and then, but it even jumped over the lake and burned up this area as well. And so a lot of you probably live in areas that were affected all, all even went up to Michigan. And the way that this massive fire started, that, that, build, that burned uh, millions, over a million acres, um, but also killed about 2,000 people, the way that this, this treacherous fire started was with a single spark, with a brush fire, probably used to clear out some land for farming. And yet with this small spark, this fire caused great destruction. 
the devastation was horrendous. Just as words have a disproportionate power to bring life, they also have a disproportionate power to bring death. Maybe you have heard these words. I want a divorce. I hate you. You're an idiot. How could you be so dumb? You're annoying. I can't stand you. Maybe you have heard those words, but maybe you have said those words. Here's the thing is you could own a knife, you could own a gun, you could own a bazooka or a cannon, but the most powerful weapon you possess is your tongue. And you know how I know that? It's because if you listen to all of the mass shootings that happen throughout our country, it is almost always traced back to the tongue to someone who said something hurtful to that person, and that's how they respond. Now, I'm not justifying what they did. It's horrific what they did. But oftentimes, it was the tongue of a person that motivated them to go and commit atrocities. Your tongue is the most powerful weapon you will ever possess. For evil, but also for good. You know, the evil makes the news but you have no idea how many atrocities God has used you in your tongue to say good things to people, to say life-giving things to people, to bless people that, that, that kept them from doing atrocious things that would either hurt them or hurt others around them. Here's the thing. Your words, your text messages, your tweets, your Facebook posts, are never neutral. They're either for good or for evil. Let me read you some quotes from Proverbs that puts it so succinctly. Proverbs 18 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Reckless reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but it Deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. And so we have seen the seriousness of our tongue. Not many of you should become teachers because of the seriousness of our words. That there's disproportionate strength of our tongues, both for good and for evil. The third is the savageness of our tongues. Savage can mean a lot of things. One definition of savage is fierce and violent and uncontrolled. Verse 7 says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creatures, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. I don't know if you've ever gone to the circus or to SeaWorld, but it's amazing how they can tame dolphins and whales and, and lions to do all these different things. It's like we can tame any animal in the world except for my dog. But we tame all of these amazing animals to do what we want them to do. And yet verse 8 says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Friends, this is crushing news. We just learned how evil and how deadly the tongue can be. And now we are told that we can't tame it, that it is full of deadly poison outside of our control. Some of you have been bitten by this deadly poison Some of you, all of us, 
have bitten with this deadly poison of words that have hurt relationship and poisoned relationships. Verse 9 continues, he says, With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. I'm curious if you've ever done this, where you are driving down the road, listening to Christian radio, singing along, and all of a sudden in the back you say, Kids, keep it down! I'm trying to worship Jesus, right? And they go, shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing, right? Like, just stop it, right? And so one moment we can be worshiping the Lord, and the next moment we can be cursing those that are made in the image of God. It's amazing how we can come here and to sing the praises of the Lord, and yet on the drive home when someone does not use their blinker, we curse that person made in the image of God. Or we come here and we sing praises and we get home and yet, yet when our parents are unfair to us, we lash out. Or when our kids don't get off of electronics when we want them to, we, we, we smush them with words. And then we have this summary verse in verse 10. He says, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. As we said earlier, our words are never neutral. Even when we have to say hard things to people that people may not want to hear, our words are either a blessing or a curse. I want to share this quote from C.S. Lewis. I've shared it many times before, but it's just so applicable to this passage. This is what it says. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, he goes on to explain, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day, that is in eternity, be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. He goes on to say, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, right? Every country has a shelf life. And theirs is to ours as that of a knife. But it is mortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And then he says later on, he finishes with this. He says, next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. You know, it's interesting because as I was raised, and this isn't necessarily a positive thing, but I, I learned that whatever words I used could be held against me the rest of my life. And so I was very careful for how I used my words. And even today, I'm very careful with what words I speak to my wife and to my children. And so I'm very careful about the words that I say. But I'm not so careful about how I say them. You know, if you were to look at the words I say to my wife and my children in print, you'd probably say, oh, they, those are okay words. But you know that, that words are only a small part of communication. There's a, there's a far different, there's a, there's a big difference between get up to your room, please, and get up to your room, please, right? There's a huge difference between those two. 
And yet, as, as, as life goes on, as, as I start to get teenagers who are starting to think for themselves, which is a very good thing, and start to push back and ask questions, what I find out is that a lot of the time when I'm disciplining my children, it isn't out of love for them or care for them or, or knowing that I've been given this responsibility to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Oftentimes, my discipline is out of frustration, anger, and expediency. I just want them to obey right now for my sake to make my life easier. And so over, man, I guess probably my whole life, but especially over the past couple of years, I've said, Lord, please help me. Please help me to speak to my children and to my wife in a way that is kind and gentle and loving and compassionate. Lord, I need your help because I cannot do this on my own. And that brings us to the final point. We've seen the seriousness of our tongue, the disproportionate strength of our tongue, the savageness of our tongues, but finally the source of our tongues. And this might be the most important point. It probably is. Verse 11 and 12, look there with me. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So let me give you a quiz, all right? It's not, it's not a trick quiz. It's, it's a quiz, but I want you to answer out loud. What type of tree do olives come from? Olive tree, right? What kind of vine do grapes come from? Grapevine, right? What type of pond does salt water come from? Salt pond, one more. What type of pond does fresh water come from? Fresh water pond, Right? Final question, most important question. What type of heart do evil words come from? An evil heart. I I, I had, uh, let me give you this illustration. So this bottle says purified water, okay? Um, Imagine that it's full, all right? Imagine this this bottle is full. And uh, and imagine uh, I have another bottle, all right? And this other bottle is filled with motor oil, all right? Now, now let me ask you a question. If I take this purified water that is filled and I squeeze it, what's gonna come out? Purified water, right? If I take this bottle of motor oil and I squeeze it, what's gonna come out? Motor oil, right? Here's the thing, all day long you're being squeezed. <laughs> when that driver in front of you, again, is going slower than you want, your heart's getting squeezed. When your boss doesn't show you the appreciation you think you deserve, your heart's getting squeezed. When your parents are unfair and have different rules for you than they have for other, uh, than other families have, your heart's getting squeezed. When your spouse doesn't show you the love and respect you think you deserve, your heart's getting squeezed. When your children don't obey you, your heart's getting squeezed. And whatever comes out is not their fault. And it's not the circumstance's fault. It's what's in your heart. See, out of an evil heart comes evil words. Jesus puts it this way 
In Matthew 15, he says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. You know, it's been said that the, that the hip bone is connected to the leg bone, which is connected to the knee bone. The tongue is connected to the heart. Whatever comes out is what's going on in your heart. One final picture for you, the day of illustrations. You all are probably very familiar with the iceberg illustration. 10% sticks up above, 90% is down below. Douglas O'Donnell says this. He says, our tongue is only the tip of the iniquity iceberg. No wonder the prophet Jeremiah says that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Here's the point. If you want to change the way that you speak in your head or out loud to others, you have to go to the source. You have to go to the heart. But the thing is this, you cannot change your heart. If you want to change your heart, you need divine intervention. You must continually go to the one who by his word and his spirit can change your heart, can change you from the inside out. If you, like James, by the Holy Spirit, have been convicted of the seriousness of your words, the power of your words, and the untamable savageness of your words, and the corruption of the source of your words, if you're convicted about these things, the only hope you have to have to, tra- to change this, to tame the tongue, is to go to a better word a redeeming word, a saving word, a divine word. In John chapter one, we are told that in the beginning was the word, it created all things. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning and all things were made through him and without him was nothing made that was made. And in him was life and the light of men. And then we read on and it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, the powerful and perfect word of God became a man and lived a perfect and powerful life all the way to the cross where he took on the sin of our unclean lips and our unclean hearts and our unclean words and he paid for them at full upon the cross, but then rose again and the newness of life to give us new hearts and ascended into heaven so that he could send upon us the Holy Spirit so that now we have inside of us the work of God to cleanse us and purify our hearts, which will change the way that we speak to one another. Let me end with this. Uh, preacher R.C. Sproul tells a story about when he first got his driver's license and he went to driving school because his dad uh, was an invalid and uh, was, was dying. Um, before he was allowed to drive the car by himself on the highway, uh, his father sat him down and said this to him. He said, son, what you have to understand is that the piece of machinery in the driveway is not a toy. It may be an occasion to you of a lot of fun and you get all infatuated with it. But it is not a toy. In fact, son, it is a lethal weapon. And it has the capacity to destroy you, a host and a host of other people. And you have to remember that every time you sit behind the wheel of an automobile. This is what James is saying about our tongue. It is not a toy. It is not trivial. It is not safe. 
It is powerful. And it has the power to bring life or to bring death, to be a blessing or to be a curse. And we must remember that and ask God for help every time we open our mouth. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful again that you would confront us about something that we think so little about so often, the way that we speak to others, Lord. God, we pray that as a community that has been redeemed and is being redeemed by you and by your Holy Spirit, God, that you will continue to grow us to be a people who speak life to others, who will say hard things when it's necessary, Lord, but who will be a blessing to those who are around us, God. Lord, pray that you will help change our hearts, that it might change our tongues, that we might speak the light of the good news of Christ to those whom you put around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.